What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, my sweet loves. Uh, this week's guest, guests, plural, are Emily and Nate Morris, and they are partners and co-authors of Transforming Orgasms with Psychedelics, Cannabis, and Science. And I have a feeling this is a book that many of our listeners are going to want to pick up and, and, and hear more about. I know, uh, as you can imagine, Jeremy uh, handled a lot of the questions in this one while I sat eyes wide just taking it all in. Our conversation centered around the sex, drugs, and rhythm theory of human evolution, which is a sex-based, a sexed, a sex-based hypothesis for co-evolution between humans and psychoactive plants and fungi. Fungi, Jeremy? Fungi? Fungi. Fungi. Or fungi. Um, you're going to love this. We did. And, uh, we're so grateful to have you join us again for another episode. Take care out there. All right. Well, um, I can't wait for this conversation because uh we're talking about like all of my favorite things packaged into one thing um we're talking about orgasms i love orgasms mm-hmm. we're talking about psychedelics 
I do love Jeremy, do you like psychedelics? I sure do. Oh, you do. And we're talking about science. And Wait, I and cannabis. Science. Cannabis is in there. Right. Cannabis is in there, which I, I kind of like. I mean, I mean, not not technically a psychedelic, um, but, uh, you know, it's it's in there. It's a it's a uh, psychoactive, uh, I guess you could say. So I love all those things. Um, but why are we talking about all these things together, Bridie? Um, well, today in our studio, our Zoom studio, we are uh, welcoming our guests, Emily and Nathaniel Morris, who have a, a book called Transforming Orgasms with Psychedelics, Cannabis, and Science. Hell yeah. Uh, love the book title. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious, so curious uh, about the book. Where does this book come from? Why, why did you guys decide to write it? Um, but, but before we get into all that, please introduce yourselves. Well, th- thanks so much for having us guys. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. My name's Nate Morris. Um, full name's Nathaniel Morris, but everybody calls me Nate and I'm here with my wife. Yeah. And I am Emily Morris, sometimes Emily Halverson, depending on where you're looking, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Now you guys are yeah, married. Um, we are but, married, yeah. And going on and nine years. Nine years married. Okay. Um, and uh, what? So I like give me the backstory here. What do what do you guys before writing a book called Transforming Orgasms with Psychedelics, Cannabis, and Science? What what is uh, what was your day job before you became authors? <laughs> Great question. So we're both in the cannabis industry. Uh, we're both cannabis subject matter experts. Um, and, and we have been our whole lives. Um, we met through the cannabis space. Um, so I guess the the way this all got started uh, about 10, 11 years ago, um, I was on a television show um, growing CBD cannabis um, on the Discovery Channel. And Emily was Miss High Times 2012. Um, and we both got paired together to lobby Congress on behalf of um, pediatric uh, patients who who needed CBD to treat their seizures. And we met and fell in love and um, saw that Canada was getting ready to legalize and decided we would elope to Canada. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of the fun romantic story of how, how this whole ball got rolling. Fun. Um, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we came over here and uh, I, I still currently work for um, a licensed producer here in Canada. So um, that is my day job. So in weekends and, and evenings, we've been uh, working on the book. But yeah, it's basically um, even explaining it to, to everyone. It's it's all cannabis all the time in our household. <laughs> like even uh, we're now psychedelics and cannabis. Um, but yeah, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, so, so it, it started with studying uh, cannabinoids and particularly the rare cannabinoids like CBD and THCV. Um, but there's a, there's um, peyote is also legal in Canada. So so we started studying that too and. There's a bunch of chemicals in peyote that mm. haven't been researched much, so that's that's kind of how we all we got started with it. Fun, okay. I definitely, uh, be, I, I I'll let you go ahead there, Brady, but uh, I definitely have some uh, cannabinoid questions. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, me too. Oh, amazing, sweet. Uh, me too. Um, and I did have a question that I wanted to ask before we dive into that. What was it? Um, okay, yeah. Tell me if I'm wrong, but some of the questions that I'm sure Jeremy and I both have about cannabinoids, I have assumed that there just isn't the research yet because it's only we've only been allowed to study it and experiment with it in like laboratories and or, or, or whatever for for only a short amount of time. Is that correct? Or do is there more information out there available sure. than I could have possibly imagined? 
there's a lot there's a lot more than people realize. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you're not wrong that the the research has been hugely curtailed, and there ought to be way more. I mean, people discovered this was an enormous medical discovery 50, 60 years ago, even before that. So we sh- we should be far further along than we are. But that said, you always hear this refrain where we just don't have the data because we haven't been allowed to study it. And I remember being frustrated hearing that 20 years ago. And now there's literally like thousands of peer-reviewed journal articles on the subject. So there, mm. there, there's it's it's tough to stay on top of all of the the latest research. There's so much of it. But um, so yeah, it's a little bit of both, I guess. And would we find that um data and those those peer reviewed like papers and and things like that on the same channels that we would look for other uh like medical Google, papers Google and stuff? Scholar is your best friend. Okay. It's, it's incredible. Just about every good study is now publicly available and fairly easy, easily accessible. Oh, if you even great. just Google like minor cannabinoids on Google Scholar, you'll get hundreds of studies and they're wonderful. Okay. So there, correct me if I'm wrong. There's, uh, is it, maybe I'm so wrong on this, but it, I feel like I heard somewhere there's like thousands of cannabinoids there's no. there's just over um the, the number kind of varies um between usually we say like over 100 or over 120 okay. um because they're very similar uh depending on how you're defining them the, the number can change uh but it's around that 100 there's there's over 400 active components in cannabis alone but that uh cannabinoid number is around 100 120 okay so what i'm really so uh i've I, when it comes to psychedelics i i I consider myself a pretty like um, well-versed uh, uh, psychonaut, someone who's like uh, dabbled in psychedelics for probably the last um, probably the last decade, um, and and have like put pretty pretty good use to it. Uh, you know, like not not utilizing psychedelics just to like get fucked up, but like uh, highly intention-based psychedelic work. Um, and um, I I I think it's I think. Uh, psychedelics can be amazing. I think they can be extraordinarily healing. Um, they can also be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, cannabis, I've had a weird relationship to cannabis my whole life. I can't, I, I can't smoke technically because I have a lung mm-hmm. disease. So, um, so, you know, I did smoke weed in high school, bad, you know, it was, it was not good for my lungs. Um, and then had some like bad experiences with the edibles when I was in like university, Brody poisoned me basically with like yeah. 14 grams in, in, in like a small batch <laughs> of brownies. And I, you know, didn't remember who I was. Um, and so like, just like cannabis, I always was like, ah, I don't know. I don't think it's for me. I don't think it's for me. Um, but I just recently, and I, I talked about this on a recent podcast, but I just recently started kind of dabbling in, in cannabis again. Now that here in Canada, you know, cannabis is pretty easy, easily accessible. We can go down to the, the Nova Scotia liquor, you know, liquor corporation store and, and, and buy it right there. And it's pretty well dosed out. And, and in the past I was always like, Edibles are edibles, you know, like I'll take one edible and they say it's indica. I don't know. Take the other one says it's sativa. It's all the fucking same to me. But as I started to kind of take the, take some gummies here and there, just like experimenting with this one or that one, I started to really be able to see, oh, wow, these are, these are very different sensations that I'm having when I have, you know, these ones that I got from, from, you know, in this package versus these ones. And I've had, I've found a gummy that I am totally in love with. It's the first time I've ever utilized cannabis where A, I can have sex with, while I'm on it and enjoy. And B, I can also be social 
and be out without feeling like I want to crawl into a cave and never be seen by another human again. And what I've come to realize is that it is a, it's a blend of THC and CBG. So I'm super curious. I don't know anything about CBG. I don't know anything about like CBN. You know, I've got like a little bit of an idea of like CBD. Okay, sure. But like CBN, CBG, those are two cannabinoids that I have dabbled with that are in tandem with THC. And it's really wild to me the, the, the vast difference of feeling to the, to the experience that you have when you have, when I've, when I've tried the THC with CBG or the C, the THC with CBN. So what is CBG? And like, why, why is this, why does it make me feel, um, it makes me feel like I had like six espressos and I could like, I want to go for a run and I wanted to like <laughs> lift weights. Like it's, it's crazy. I've never felt this way before yeah. uh, utilizing THC and also the sex part. That's a big part for me because I, uh, we just made me so turned off from sex, but the, the THC and CBG, it actually, it, it feels great. It's really fun. Yeah. That's really interesting. And, uh, we can kind of answer, kind of answer both, both portions. Sometimes yeah. the second answer is a little, not the answer, but, um, so CBG is an interesting cannabinoid. Um, it's actually the pre, so CBGA, <laughs> all cannabinoids start off as what are called acids. Like they're not actually, they have to become activated, um, to, to interact with us. So, um, when we think of like THC, it's, it's precursor. And like what we look at in the plant is actually THCA. Um, and you have CBDA and what those all come from are actually CBGA. Um, it's, it's the precursor to all of those, um, cannabinoids and what they call the, the derivaric pathway, um, or sorry, the oliveric pathway. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just another cannabinoid. Um, why, why it's doing stuff is kind of a, a difficult answer. So mm. part of like in the book um, and what, why we wanted to write it is we, we always get this question, like, what, like, what should I consume? Why is it doing this? What's going on? And, and like we said, some, there are some studies starting to come out and, and looking at like, what is affecting majority of the population. Um, but what's actually going on is we have a, an internal system, our, our ECS or, or endocannabinoid system. Um, that is what's, what's linking in with the cannabinoids and, and other stuff in cannabis specifically cannabinoids. Um, but, uh, that's where it gets a little complicated is that mm. we're all different. Right. right so, right. um, part of what the book is, is doing in that, that journaling system component of it is noting those things. So like cannabis, typically with THC, I'm not into it for some reason we added this CBG and here's what I've noted. Right. So it's, yeah. it's, it's about that. And I think people like when they come to cannabis, um, they're like, they want that specific question where it's, you kind of have to, you know, figure it out a little. And, you know, we, you know, recommend low and slow. Um, it's always been a, a, a thing around the industry of just trying and, and kind of noticing. Um, another thing is also like, you know, where you are, like your mindset and your setting, which we also totally. go into, um, in the book, cause that's a big role in psychedelics, but it also happens with cannabis and people are like, um, yeah, like, so for example, you mentioned indica sativa, which is, uh, a really it's been called a pet peeve of mine sure, yeah, um, yeah. in that, you know, the, the language around it. And we've kind of, um, expressed this full taxonomy of indicas make you sleepy and, and sativas make you energetic when really what's happening is those cannabinoids and terpenes and other things, you know, working together again, a lot of science needs to be looked at that, but we know for sure those cannabinoids, um, are what's kind of going on and just noting that and, and uh, looking into it. Uh, not to like compare it to, to alcohol because they're they're drastically different, but you wouldn't walk into like a bar and automatically need to know 
your perfect drink, right? Like you, yeah. you work at that over time and you realize what you like and what you don't like. And if for some reason, people just don't like to apply that to cannabis. Um, but that's the same thing. Like you, you've, you know, you've lived, you've learned, and uh, you've noticed this thing about you personally that uh, has been effective. Like if you look into it, maybe a, a big majority of the population has also experienced those things, but mm. it's about you, you know, kind of that journey and, and noticing those things. And it's amazing that we're in Canada. Um, you also brought up like testing and, you know, having edibles, uh, you know, that were homemade. Um, and we are so lucky here in Canada um, yeah. as someone who's come from the legals and legacy market in the States um, to have not only regulated products, but regulated testing. So um, a lot of big misconception, like when you see products in the States, it's like, wow, there's drinks with like 3000 milligrams. It's like, Okay, maybe. Um, we don't know how those were tested. And also, like up here in Canada, we have this regulatory regime um, that is it's standard and you have to like go back and test and, and test for certain things. So we actually really know what we're getting up here um, in terms of cannabinoid content. Um, hopefully in, in time, we'll get some more, you know, regulations around like terpenes and, and other awesome uh, compounds. But that's just something that we, you have the luxury of walking into, you know, the the Nova Scotia store and and actually knowing what's in that yeah, product. So. Yeah. It, and, and for, you know, for anybody who's listening to this, that, that maybe, um, uh, you know, hasn't really dabbled in THC for, for whatever reason that might be. Um, that's one of the things that I think really, really helped me in, in sort of developing this, this appreciation for, for THC was the, the regulation that comes with you know the situation that we have up here in Canada, um, and you know going into the the NSLC and and speaking to the employees there, like they're <laughs> it's really funny because like the 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 weed section is like separate from the alcohol section, and so you have to go through the like the liquor store to get into the weed section here in, in Nova Scotia. I know it's different, like province to province, mm -hmm. um, and like. The employees in the in the alcohol section versus the employees in the weed section, like they're very different. And then like so, you know, you're talking to these like these people who are so well versed in cannabis. And but there's also this sort of vibe of like, are you guys on it right now too? Like yeah. you guys are so they're like so, they're like max chill, you know? It's it's, it's, it's so it's a fun. laid back industry. Totally, yeah, totally. Um uh well that's amazing. I love that. I I mean I kind of want to. I kind of want to veer more towards the book now because uh, I, I feel like I sort of steer, I steered that conversation a little bit. <laughs> right? Too no, don't get us on cannabinoids. <laughs> I know. <fuck. laughs> yeah. But what uh, you do, what you describe is interesting. The what uh, one of the things that we encounter is the with with me Western medicine we tend to want a one size fits all approach, and there's yeah. this like the and when when we talk about the, you know the subject of ca cannabis and psychedelics um, in the context of sex, people want to know like, well, what is the right mixture of THC and CBD? And the, what we notice is as a culture, especially in recent years, we've wrapped our minds the, around the idea that everybody's different sexually and that mm. you, would, you would never have an expectation that there would be one thing that turns everybody on. And what we're, what we're trying to communicate in the book is that we really need to approach can, cannabis with the same lens, that the two people are different in such profound ways that when they consume the same product, it, it would be obscene to expect them to have the same results from it. And that part of figuring out like what, what works for you in a sexual context is trial and error and figuring, you know, pursuing the things that interest you and avoiding the things that don't. And this, the same is true with safe use of, you know, psychoactive substances. It's about listening to yourself and 
figuring out what's working for you and what isn't. Mm-hmm. I I don't I do want to veer to the book as well, but I Jeremy sort of shared his or, origin story when it comes to cannabis, and my mine was a little bit different. And I I I'm kind of I've been looking, like I mentioned in the beginning when I was talking about research, like I've been sort of looking to see if there's research to back up some of the questions that I have about how my long term use of cannabis is affecting me particularly sexually, like hormonally, like, is there a possibility that it's like my daily use of cannabis over the last two decades has, you know, if I stop or like when I introduced it to my life, it was in a, I, I believe, you know, it was a recreational sort of thing for, for myself and for my peers at the time, but it was also, it came on the heels of some like pretty, pretty major trauma. Like right after I didn't, I never smoked weed until after my sister passed away. And then it was like, it felt like in that moment, self met self medicating. And Mm. now when I'm, when I talk to people in mental health and addictions, um, circles, and we talk about trauma and and like um, how that can like affect your addictive sort of tendencies. Like, so I'm starting to kind of look at my relationship with cannabis from that lens, and not 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 wanting to like pathologize myself and and see um, how it's being affected. But it's almost like when I walk into a cannabis store, I want to ask the same questions that Jeremy just asked. It's like, what's the best suited? what's the best suited like anti-anxiety med for me? You know, that's kind of the answer that I'm looking for. And I, and after 20 years, you, I feel like I, I should have found it by now, but anyway, just, I just wanted to introduce my complicated relationship mm-hmm. with cannabis into this conversation. So, you know, where I, well, we I'm coming from. That. Yeah. So I am. Uh, so okay, to the book. That, that was a, that was a very like long. So here, that was the that was the uh, pro, the the epilogue. Um, and now right. we're the into, prologue. Uh, sorry, the, pro- the, pro- the prologue. Yeah. Uh, now we're getting into the meat of uh, of something that I think is so fucking crazy fascinating. So, um, transforming orgasms with psychedelics, cannabis, and science is uh, the book that you guys have put together, and. Um, the science part is where I kind of want to like step in first and, and kind of tap into. So um, if anybody out there is not familiar with the stoned ape theory, um, I would love if, if you guys could step in and give us a, a bit of uh, context as to what that is. I think the stoned ape theory, is, it's one of my favorite um, uh, theories about coevolution. I think it's, it's like so cool to think about. Um, you know, of course, not everybody kind of vibes with it. And some people think it's kind of silly, but I'm, I for one, uh, am a believer. I want to believe <laughs> the stone ape theory just as much as I want to believe that aliens exist. So, um, so please give us a bit of background as to what the stoned ape theory is. And then, and then maybe from there kind of guide us to, um, the sex drugs and rhythm theory and, and how those two things are kind of like, uh, Absolutely. commingling with one another. Sure. Sure. So, okay, so first the Stone Ape Theory. So the, the theory is 30 years old. And uh, when it was first introduced, it, it was introduced in a book called Food of the Gods um, by Terence McKenna. And it, um, it, the idea is that early humans around the time of speciation, so like 300,000 years ago, discovered psychedelic mushrooms. And the, the theory goes that the act of consuming psychedelic mushrooms and incorporating them into the diet led to a dramatic increase in brain size. And 
the invention of language mm -hmm. and higher levels of consciousness. Now, the, the challenge with this theory is that, A, there's just not very much archaeological evidence from that time. What we do have is a big mystery. The, in human evolution, the, brain, the human brain grew like more than doubled in size in a very short period of time, much faster than we've ever seen any other animal in the fossil record do that. And so there, there's a big question mark on what, what caused that. And the, the stoned ape theory basically was, was built around that fact point and trying to figure, trying to reverse engineer from there an explanation that perhaps mushrooms were responsible for that increase in brain size. So the pop culture loves this theory. And oh, yeah. I think a lot yeah. of people who are into psychedelics, like I, 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 sh I share your desire for this to be true. And I think <laughs> a lot of people, it's, you, it kind of feels true in your bones. Like if you, if you've had a lot of psychedelic experiences, there's something so primal and like, yeah, it's it just it it feels right, and our our theory, what we call the sex drugs and rhythm theory, we we describe it as being adjacent to the stone date theory. So it mm -hmm. it it neither confirms the theory nor nor does it argue against the theory. It's just it's a different version. So the the key difference with the theory that we're putting forward is that we're not attributing the expanse in brain size to psychedelic mushrooms. We're just, we're, that's not where we go with it. What, what our, our theory is, is that when early humans encountered these psychedelic mushrooms, they inevitably tried having sex on them and discovered it made sex better. And the original stoned ape theory also acknowledged that point and suggested that, you know, one of the things that attracted early humans to these mushrooms was the sexual enhancing properties. But what we say is if you just stop there, if you don't, credit the mushrooms with expanding our brain size. If we just say we would have incorporated these mushrooms into our natural mating rituals, mm. that alone is a major step forward in our scientific understanding of how coevolution worked, because that is a good enough reason to have started consuming them regularly and making them a natural part of our diet. And the fact that we can look at how psychedelics and other psychoactive substances affect us sexually we can draw inferences that would have applied to 300,000 years ago. Like if we know that it makes sex better and it make, and people who have access to these substances have sex more often, we can infer that that means that they would have had more children back then, which means the, that natural selection would have positively selected for people that enjoyed getting intoxicated and having sex. And from there, we, we create this theory of human evolution where we look at where, as humans spread around the world, what substances they would have encountered. And, you know, the they encountered mushrooms 300,000 years ago, around the time of speciation. But as soon as we left Africa, Eurasia was covered with cannabis. And mm -hmm. so it, it logically, it makes sense that humans would have been bumping into cannabis. And if we just spent the past 250,000 years incorporating psychedelic mushrooms into our natural mating rituals, <laughs> surely when we encountered cannabis, we would have done the same. And just understanding that, understanding that over the course of human evolution, for the vast majority of that time, we were almost certainly mixing psychedelic mushrooms, cannabis into our natural mating rituals. Suddenly we look at a fact pattern like what you just described, where like 20 years ago you started using cannabis and it's been of some benefit to you in a sexual context. And knowing that that's probably the experience of most of humanity makes makes it seem a little less scandalous and a little mm. bit less like something you need to concern yourself with the possible health implications. And 
more like you're it's probably a natural part of your diet that's healthy it sounds to me like and, it, <laughs> and many people would probably benefit from following your example does that yeah, make sense t- t- yeah it takes the it takes the taboo away from it. it takes the stigma away from it normalizes it in a sense um i i love this i i think this is really fun you know like i i've uh just recently i've been like nerding out about um have have you guys heard of the bicameral mind hypothesis yeah. Like, like that, that stuff, I just, it's so fascinating to me. Like, it's just such an interesting way to kind of look at, uh, us as a species, look at our past, kind of think about the ways that we found ourselves, where we are now, and to put into context, some of the things that we've been through, um, like in recent history that, um, that, you know, as we, as we start to kind of shift and evolve societally today, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm thinking about is like, um, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, if you were to tell me that, um, that it would be commonplace for, uh, psychologists and, and physicians to be taking seriously the benefits of psilocybin, um, in my, you know, in my, in my thirties, I would go, eh, that sounds a bit like, bunk i i like i doubt it highly doubt that um or you know the use of mdma in in psychotherapy to help people with ptsd it's like well i could see how that would work but i could not imagine a world where that would be possible and yet we find ourselves here and so you know we find but but we find ourselves here after a long history at least long history to to us um you know uh, people who are alive today a long history of of our society um, demonizing and and criminalizing these substances that are now having a resurgence, um, you know, since the time of of McKenna, um, you know, writing writing about um, about the stone ape theory and things like that. Like we're seeing this resurgence come up, and so it's it's very interesting to me to like kind of look at the history of 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 drugs, um, the history of psychedelics, um, and to to kind of view how the fuck did we get from there to here and why 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 on earth did we spend you know the last whatever it was 50 years um locking people away for for using substances that now today we're 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 seeing can hold really valuable benefits um and one of the things that i know that you guys have kind of touched on is this this concept that like prohibition has been somewhat tied to policing sexuality. And, and I think that's really interesting. I, I'd love to hear, like, because I've, I've never thought about it that way. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, like, where, where did you, uh, where does it, like, is this a theory that you guys kind of put together yourselves? Or, like, is this, is this kind of in, the, in the, the zeitgeist of, like, well, yeah, the, the reason we've been, you know, uh, pro, doing prohibition with, with these certain substances is because we don't want everybody out there just having a fucking orgy <laughs> until and 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 society will eventually collapse you know? no right. one will go to work yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so yes and no so it is there in the history it's not often talked about as much i think it's starting to come to the forefront um we often talk about so prohibition essentially started right like 100 years ago and around mm. the 1920s um canada was actually prior um to going illegal in the 1920s with um the states going in 1937 um when you look at that, like a lot of people know the history of, you know, Henry J. Anslinger, who was a very top ranking political official in the States um, that was really proposed, like 
pushing this this propaganda along. Um, and you see it in reference to racial, you know, you know, tying mm. the term marijuana, right? We, we really try to avoid that word um, in the industry today, not because um, people using it per se today are using it um, from that place or, or from a place of bad, place of good. I Derogatory. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's tying that. But um, when we start to look and even like take back that curtain, um, what it's referencing to is uh, women you know, going to jazz musicians and having these sexual feelings while on these substances. And so it's saying it in this, you know, negative, super negative racial sense, but it's tying back to women. Hey, we have to control, you know, you know, the sexuality aspect of this. And, you know, what better way to get more people on board than to say, hey, you know, your your wives and your sisters and uh, you know, are all going to be under this spell of marijuana. Mm. Um, so it's, it's kind of that subcontext that we have a lot throughout our, our, you know, history. Um, but you know, it's, uh, and we kind of touched on this also in the book around, um, you know, organized religions coming about too, and, and taking away kind of that shamanistic, you know, we used to have mm. a lot of sex rituals and coming of age rituals around, you know, psychoactive substances, and they were normalized in those societies. Um, we've kind of taken it as this bad thing and, and, and stigmatized it thus making it what people didn't want it to be in the first place, you know, or mm-hmm. saying that it was, but if we just had kind of that conversation, um, you know, that's, that's really where we're coming from with that. If you look at the, like the arc of virtually all the controlled substances, like LSD, mescaline, MDMA, they all started as like celebrated medical discoveries and it didn't become something that it was viewed as a moral hazard until Hippies, usually in combination with cannabis, started incorporating it into a like free sex lifestyle. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at MDMA that birthed the rave scene, but that was started as a pharmaceutical product to, uh, for couples therapy. The mescaline and LSD, you know, earlier generations, but same thing. It was it was a celebrated medical discovery until you started to see people associating it with free love, mm-hmm. and then it became this moral hazard that we needed to to regulate. Sometimes it's it's overt, like with cannabis, it, the the historical claims around cannabis causing white women to have sex with minorities. It's very overt. With with psychedelics, it was a little more subtextual, but still very much the the case. And as in general, the way our society handles drug policy is like that. It's the a, a substance can be celebrated for its its medical applications, but as soon as we see people having sex with it, suddenly we put that in a category and call it recreational. And mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to define recreational other than that, other than this category of stuff that we kind of vaguely associate with sexual activity. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Huh. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. How, like, how do you guys feel about, um, I mean, it must excite you, you know, to see articles coming out like, um, you know, organizations like Theracil here in Canada, um, you know, providing patients with, uh, with access to, to, um, uh, psycho, uh, um, psychotherapy assisted psychoactive, uh, or, sorry, psychotherapy assisted psychedelics, uh, for people who are experiencing, you know, like end of life anxieties, things like that. Like we're, we're definitely seeing a turning point. Um, things with, uh, you know, like Michael Pollan's book coming out that, that was, that was huge. Like that was a huge win for the psychedelic world. Um, do you, do you guys feel like we're on the right track? You know, do you, do you feel like we're going in the right direction at, at, at the correct speed or, or, you know, as people who are like in the industry, like, how do you feel about the way that society is approaching psychedelics and, and psychoactive substances in general? Yeah, I think it's, it's good. Yeah. You can never get there fast <laughs> enough for our case, but we're, yeah, yeah. it's way faster than I would have ever imagined a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. I would say living through it in the cannabis space. Um, Nate has, you know, about 10 years on me, but I joined, you know, I've been in the industry for about 13 years. So right on the cusp of, you know, what we kind of refer to as the legacy market coming into, you know, legal streams. And it's very similar. You know, you're seeing very similar conversations. And I think almost it is, it does seem a little more sped up. Maybe that's just me, you know, getting into my thirties, but, um, it definitely seems like, Hey, we went through this with cannabis. We kind of have, you know, some muscle memory. Um, and if anything, I think it's also opening the door, um, for just drug policy reform and, mm. you know, uh, uh, topics around that, that we're also very passionate about because, um, we don't believe anyone should be in a cage for a substance. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's great. And the more we have the conversations, I think, um, you know, even with cannabis, you'll see people have different opinions of, you know, how stuff should happen, but, I think at the end of the day, just getting getting the conversation started and like um, you know, destigmatizing it is is the ball game. Yeah. I'd uh, I'd love to hear you kind of briefly touched on it earlier, Emily, but you you had mentioned the the journaling system um as a part of the the sex, drugs, and rhythm, um, the SCR journaling system. What is what is that all about? And like what's um what's the point to to this journaling system? So so the journaling system came out of all of the, the research that we were doing into sex. And we, we were trying to get our arms around how can we quantify the different aspects of sex. And one of the things that's so challenging about studying sex on psychedelics is that the, the things that motivate people to mix psychedelics and cannabis with sexual activity is to, it changes the nature of the experience and it, and it allows sexual experiences to take on new characteristics. So the tools that have been invented to me to study sober sex really don't do a great job at studying things like the, you know, with a lot of people report things like a profound sense of connection and you people studying sober sex never look at those types of things. So the, yeah. what we wanted to do was create a, a system for studying sex with psychedelics and, and cannabis 
And what we found is that because of what's known in the industry as set and setting, which is the, the idea that how you how you experience a psychedelic substance is going to be majorly determined by your headspace, like where, where, what your mood is, what your intentions are, and your environment. Because of those factors, a laboratory just doesn't work for studying this. That it's a little bit like needing to go study animals in the wild rather than putting them in a cage. Like we, right. the only way this this works to pursue this type of science is to find ways to learn from people's sexual experiences that happen in in the wild in their own environments. And so a journaling system is very well suited for that. And and what we found is that we started working with all of these biometric sensors, like there's smart vibrators and we have a wireless EEG system and even just like Fitbits, like regular smartwatches can provide really helpful data for, for understanding what made certain orgasms more intense than others and the different factors that go into really gaming out why it is that certain sexual experiences are so much better than others. And the the SDR journaling system was was what was developed as a methodology for for zeroing in on the on the different strengths and weaknesses of different substances. Cool. I, one thing that I'm kind of curious about is uh, what your <laughs> what you, so, so in terms of my own like personal experience, um, uh, sex, including psychedelics. So you know, sex while under the influence of MDMA or LSD uh, or even psilocybin, um, it's, it can be amazing. Like, like otherworldly, cosmically, just like mind-blowingly good. And I remember, I, I remember like a number of years ago, Vice put out this article and it was, it was about like, uh, you know, it was about like whether or not fucking on MDMA would ruin sex for the rest of your life kind of thing. You know what I mean? And like, there's, there's, the, there's that like notion of like, Oh, well you can't, you can't have sex on LSD cause it's too Machiavellian. It's yeah. too good. You know, like it'll just, it'll ruin, it'll ruin sex. What do you, what do you have to say to, to people who might like have that concern or might, you know, might, I, might think that. I think that's why it's so important <laughs> to start with the idea that this is a natural part of our diet. Like the, the experience, those next level, like earth shattering experiences of sex on psychedelics, that's, that's what we evolved to have. That's the sex you're supposed to be having. It's this prohibition induced dietary deficiency that's lowered the bar to so far that you think that even experiencing sex like that would ruin all of their <laughs> sex. Yeah. So for, I'd start there, but what I, what I would add to that is that it's not as though you need to always be high in MDMA to have those experiences. What's yeah. so incredible about the 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 way that these substances work is that they they create new pathways that they imp- they can improve your sex in general, not just when you're on MDMA, yeah. but they they allow you to experience new things and create pathways that so you can re-experience those those experiences later free of substances. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you made that point because that's uh, I think that's one of the biggest that was one of the biggest takeaways for me in, in, in my experience with, with utilizing psychedelics for my own like healing and my own betterment is that, um, oftentimes in those experiences, while you are, while you are, you know, tripping, you're having these, these, whether the thoughts or feelings or epiphanies or, you know, just like your overall existence is in this bubble that, that, um, that is, you know, if it's if the set and setting is is the way that it should have been for you in that moment, it's it's allowing you to see the world through this new lens, through this new, you know, this new world view, and it's um, 
with the correct, like, you know, integration after that experience, it's not like that worldview just goes away the next day. Mm-hmm. You're able to tap into that feeling. And, and the, the same, I've never thought about this, but until you just said it, that's the same goes for the, the, you know, the experience of sex on MDMA. It's fireworks going off and it's crazy. And you're so present and like, Oh my God, it feels so good. And this is like, I'm, I'm, I've never been so close to someone in my life. Well, to be able to recreate that without the use of, of substances like MDMA or LSD is it's right there at your fingertips. You're, you're, you know, that experience is there for you to have again and again and again and again, because you just had the experience and, and yes, the, you know, you had the experience while, while on LSD, but it was the LSD that sort of taught you that you can go to that place. And that place is accessible outside of, of tripping for sure. I love that. That's great. Yeah. You take that experience with you and it's, it's kind of similar to other aspects around psychedelics that they're finding, you know, with anecdotal research around, you know, things like PTSD, that it helps you kind of break down those barriers and you you take that with you, you know, on your Mm. journey, you know, for not not at that experience, but yeah, similar, similar kind of things. Well, it's almost, I I love that. No, I, I just, I, I don't really have a ton to, like, I'm learning so much just by listening to this. I, I don't have that much experience with the, the psychedelics part, but I'm just, uh, I'm just kind of, I feel like I'm just kind of hanging on, um, here on the edge of my seat a little bit with, with where you're headed to, but I love neuroscience and I just love that idea of like, if psychedelics make they open up that pathway or they like they they create that pathway or allow you to create the pathway i think the real magic about that is like it's in you it's all it's all already you already possess those that potential for that kind of connection um so and i remember you know coming down from mdma or having those experiences of like really deeply connecting with someone on an emotional level but that it doesn't have that same effect on the come down like alcohol does where the next day I might maybe I feel like a little guilty, a little ashamed, a little embarrassed about how much of whatever I shared. But with MDMA, it's almost like, yeah, I'm glad we had that conversation mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. you know, we, I'm glad we had that connection. And that feeling of closeness stays, even though the yeah. effects of the, the psychedelics are gone. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it's not just it's not just that. It, it, again, like the, the example that I love to use is is taking um, there was this gentleman named Thomas Hartle. Uh, he was from out west and he was the first Canadian patient given access to psilocybin um, as a patient who was dying with terminal cancer and he had end of life anxieties. Thomas Hartle had never used a psychedelic in his life. He wasn't uh, he wasn't a user of cannabis. Um, he was like, you know, he might have like a a drink here or there. Um, and so he ends up taking seven grams of psilocybin um, under the, under the, uh, the guidance of a, a you know, a therapist. Um, and he has this experience. And when he comes out of that experience, um, knowing that he had, you know, a number of months left to live uh, for weeks and weeks after, you know, when we spoke to him, it was, it was weeks you know, the, 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 uh, the trip was weeks ago. He, he still carried that feeling of like, I'm okay. I, I don't, I don't have anything to fear. And all of my anxieties about my life coming to an end have dissipated. And that was in him. He doesn't need, you know, he doesn't need to be on 
the the psilocybin. The psilocybin doesn't need to be coursing through his veins for him to have that thought, to have that experience, to have that worldview. He just needed to have that experience so that those neuropathways could be reformed, repaved, redrawn. And, and now that's how he goes about his life. And, the, you know, the same goes when we're talking about this with like sexuality or, you know, an experience that that makes you I mean, for me, it's like a it's a it's a, an experience of like like a closeness, like like sex on on psychedelics. There's it's like you, you know, that feeling when you're with your partner and you're like, I just I I want to squeeze you so hard <laughs> that I want my atoms to mesh with your atom. Like I want our atoms to blend together, but I can't, it's not possible. Well, one, you, one of the things that's so much fun about doing the science and, and especially when you start playing with the different like neuroimaging equipment is that sensation, like that feeling like this profound sense of connection is that's real. Like yeah. you, what, what we've learned about the it's rhythmic entrainment. It's the, 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 the process of having sex with somebody. It's, it's a little bit like sharing a musical experience with someone, but when you yes. get on the same rhythm, your body, your brain starts syncing up and it creates the, these positive feedback loops that escalate and create this in, in, enhanced sensory absorption and trance that can eventually lead to climax. But it's not like we, people describe it as this like ethereal thing, but it, like it's it's physically happening to you. That, mm-hmm. that connection is a is a very real phenomenon that's occurring. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. 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 And it's it's one of those it's one of those experiences, too, that that, you know. I've had a handful of times in my life and, and the, the thing that I, that I love reflecting on so much in having those experiences is the, is the, uh, the sort of like emotional reaction or the emotional like outburst that comes from that, you know, like, like the feeling of, of having that kind of connection that close, like, Oh my God, like we are literally binding our, you know, our, 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 our atoms are are now meshing together and we've had this crazy, beautifully cosmic experience. And then the sex is over. And then I'm just laying there like laughing, <laughs> laughing and laughing. Like, and, and you know, like the question is always like, what are you laughing at? And it's like, I don't know. I like, I, I'm just laughing. I, I'm, it's just this automatic physiological response to what just occurred. Like I'm, I'm so Laughing is one of the that... things that we chart in the in the journaling system, and mm. there, there's some fascinating science around it. If you, we don't often think associate laughing with sex, like those are those are right. separate things, and usually they don't happen back to back unless you're on psychedelics. But, <laughs> but if you if you the, if you actually study how what turns people on, like very often people make a sense of humor as one of the highest most important things in choosing a sexual partner. Yeah, when uh, they've they've studied people's rated people's sense of humor and discovered that. You're more likely to have other people initiate sex with you if you have a higher sense of humor, and there's a higher likelihood of bringing your partner to climax. The higher your, the better your sense of humor is. So, sense of humor and sex are very closely connected, and part of the explanation for that we think might be comedic timing. That in the same mm. way that like rhythmic timing makes people better at sex and makes people better at music and dance, oh yeah, comedic yeah, yeah. timing might be part of why it is that and. And yeah, it's all connected. That's <laughs> oh, fuck. I love that. That's so cool. That's so great. Hey, that's. I mean, hey, everybody. Everybody wonders why Pete Davidson does so well with the uh, with you know catch with with he's catching. A he's, a, he's a funny fucking he's, dude. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I love that though. The the comedic timing, kind of tying that in with like the you know the rhythm it's of a like, rhythm. a good dancer. It's a rhythm. Yeah. Totally. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. That explains so much, like, Bridie. 
<laughs> when you start like looking at it too, like when we were developing the theory and just, you know, discovering all of it, like you'll just be watching stuff. So, you know, the sex, drugs, and rhythm will just pop up. Like you're like, okay, here's a documentary on, you know, Woodstock. You're like, oh, sex, drugs, and rhythm. You know, yeah. oh, here's a, a scene from a movie at a rave. And oh, everyone is, you know, taking MDA and, and showing them all together and connectedness, but like moving in this rhythm. And it's, mm. it's, yeah, it's really just this like very eye opening, huh? Okay. Well, we all are on this plane and everything is very connected you know it gets very very meta very quickly very cool <laughs> the book is called transforming orgasms um with psychedelics cannabis and science as opposed to transforming sex and i'm wondering if they're an orgasm specific component is there something about the the moments of orgasms uh specifically that you two were focusing on yeah with this? it's a great question so the the focus of our research has really been about rhythm and rhythmic entrainment and that that led to a study of sex but it, it actually we we were originally studying epilepsy and like cbd treating seizure activity and the, then there was a, a major discovery that came out that showed that the the biomechanics behind seizure activity is actually there's parallels between that and the bio biomechanics of of orgasms and that and it's rhythmic entrainment it's this idea that it that rhythm you you experience rhythm and it enhances the sensory absorption in trance and as you pass these critical threshold points your your level of sensory absorption increases and you it can eventually culminate in a climax and that so there's there's that rhythmic event that takes place and then the climax itself a lot of people you know you you experience an orgasm in a state in a deep state of trance so the memory of an orgasm is always kind of fragment fragmented mm -hmm. usually you get these little snapshot images but what a lot of people don't realize is on a physiological level there's actually a rhythmic event happening that there it's a it's a series of rhythmic contractions on the pelvic floor and different people have distinctive orgasm patterns. And most people fall into one of three orgasm patterns. There's some outliers, but most people fit pretty neatly into one of three different types of orgasm patterns. And those patterns can still have a pretty wide envelope. Like, they, you know, an orgasm might be longer or shorter or more intense or less intense. But the there's still a, a discernible uh, rhythmic factor to it. And that's really been the focus of our research is the the way that mm. cannabinoids and psychedelics impacts that the rhythmic events surrounding climax. Do you I've, sorry? I, I'm just fascinated by that. I'm <laughs> I I have lots of Googling to do, I think. Do you guys do you guys individually have like um a a a certain uh psychedelic or or perhaps a certain like uh, THC and other cannabinoid combination that you like, that you really enjoy the most when combining with the uh, with with sex. We're pretty eclectic, <laughs> without saying yeah, without saying anything too illegal. But we have, we have a pretty diverse um, yeah appetite. I'll say our our focus research wise um, is on cannabis and peyote. Um, peyote is legal in Canada and it, and it's very understudied and my 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 main research is in cultivating different rare cultivars of of peyote and studying the different um lesser known chemicals found within them 
Mm. Um, and yeah, Emily's main, like her, her day job is all cannabis. So her main focus is on rare cannabinoids, but, um, we're, you know, we both have very scientific approaches to these whole things. And one of the fun things about publishing this book is we've, we've had a bunch of people reach out to us who, who are developing different next generation psychedelics for sexual applications. And we're interested in that too. We want to, you know, the, the industry is going in some very interesting directions and we, you know, with a, we want to be able to do a, a good job of testing the different substances and, and seeing their strengths and weaknesses on the merits. Mm. I would say too, edibles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, you know, I, um, I consume, you know, I, I vape uh, a lot and uh, mostly for medical and it, it's, I have ADHD and dyslexia and I found um, very early on that it, it calms me down. So like most people, you know, are trying to not have that uh, reaction. It actually helps um, just me become, you know, kind of homeostasis. Mm. Um, whereas when I, you know, edibles are a little bit more of that body kind of feeling. So, um, you know, it makes really good chocolate that's just me personally i like to yeah i like nate said we um we've been in the space a long time so we're not not picky but um yeah yeah i would just go with edibles personally. gummies you know yeah. yeah what do you think about this is a slight departure but what do you think about like topical uh sexual mm. um lubricants yeah. and stuff like that some of them are next level awesome for mm. like Yes, like the cannabis infused lubricants. There, there are some just incredible products out there, and there's, there's even there's some. We've cited some, some reports of people using them in conjunction with biometric sensors and showing definitively that it made their orgasm five times longer and three times more intense. Like, oh, wow. there, there's really solid data that it, it does very real things to to sexual experiences. Yeah, cool. there's a lot of data on blood flow. Um, so like when you're applying it topically, um, yeah, that's it's it's reacting with different receptors in there. Um, when you get into you know the vulva and, and anus regions, they um, there's a little bit different because it's an, it's an open skin. You know, um, whereas if you were to apply it topically, it's not going to cross that blood brain mm -hmm. barrier. Um, you know, on just your regular skin. Um, so there's some fascinating data around that. Um, people are looking into it's it's I think it's a big topic coming out in the industry right now just sexual health and mm. and kind of these hidden secrets around it because yeah. the, the some of the chemicals that are found naturally in cannabis are like they're they're chemically nearly identical to are the chemicals that our body uses for the sexual reward systems mm. like the human endocannabinoid system is responsible for creating the chemical signals that cause you to experience pleasure so, you know, adding some of those or supplementing some of those with the plant medicine, it makes sense that it would have those effects. It's like logically you, you would expect mm -hmm. it to have that effect. And mm. it's kind of a, a dual prong too. So if you're with your partner and you're using, you know, something uh, topically and then you're ingesting that, that could be something versus there's the other aspect of people using it, you know, on themselves, you know, in those areas. And it's another, so there's like topical and also ingestion, like there's a lot at play. Um, with those products this is uh this whole episode is just like i know you're so excited i know so, so much fun, fun right so fun so fun <laughs> I, i'm so excited about the book guys uh transforming orgasms with psychedelics cannabis and science um it's available now correct correct on amazon um, amazon <laughs> it's there get it read it uh, dive in. This is such cool stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm big fans of what you guys are up to. 
and uh, and I can't wait to sink my teeth into the book. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's very graphic friendly. We didn't want to have, like I said, we're um, we're both dyslexic and ADHD, <laughs> so we wanted to make it a lot of information, but accessible to people, and not you know a lot of graphics, a lot of ex- explanations, a lot of incitations. So. And it's be- I mean, it's beautiful. Like I, I, you know, I was I was kind of perusing through it here while we were speaking. The the you know the art design, it's it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous book. So so congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us today. This has been so great. Thank how you can guys. people find, I mean, other than, you know, Amazon, how can people find, uh, transformingorgasms.com. Amazing. Yeah, reach Sweet. out to us. We love hearing from people. Mm-hmm. If you have any experiences to share, certainly if you, if you try using the journal, but even if you just have your own experiences to share, we love hearing from people. And a journal, the journaling, like, are there prompts and stuff like that in the book? That's what's going there on. Is. Yeah, they're yeah. all, it's color coded. Um, if anyone knows me, I am big on color coding. <laughs> so if you look at the, uh, even together, it's like this nice, beautiful ombre um, that's all color coded and with different questions. And yeah, you can use it um, by yourself, you know, uh, even for me, like just mentally knowing those questions has been helpful. Um, not necessarily like writing them down, but we also have on our website, um, the google form version of it so if you did want to like fill it out um you can do that as well cool amazing that's so again that's transformingorgasms.com um and the book transforming orgasms uh with psychedelics cannabis and science available now on amazon um guys thank you so much this has been such a a a treat thank you our pleasure thank you All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that sex toy, <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.